0: Good morning, my name is Ivan Sprunk, one of your elders serving you here, and we're at the time of the worship service where we'll read God's Word, the portion that Brad will be teaching from. This morning's reading is from Isaiah 40. Um, What I'll be reading can be found on page 762 in the Black Pew Bibles. Black Pew Bibles can be found underneath the seat in front of you there. I'll be reading Isaiah 40, the first 11 verses uh, of that chapter. And is our, as is our tradition here, we'd ask, if you are physically able, that in the honor of the reading of God's word, that you would stand. Isaiah 40, again, that was on page 762 in those Black Pew Bibles, starting at verse 1, and I'll be reading through verse 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand, double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all of its beauty is like a flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go high to a a mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. As we've just read, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Please be.
1: Good morning. For those of you that I haven't met, my name is Brad Rogers. I'm the associate pastor here at Redeemer. I'd like to invite you to turn to the passage Ivan read for us. I believe it was page 762 in the black Bibles that are under the seat in front of you. We're continuing our series this Advent season as we look at the prophecies of Jesus in the book of Isaiah. A few weeks ago, we looked at Jesus coming to be our substitute from Isaiah 53. Then we saw Jesus coming as our king in Isaiah 9. Last week, Jesus, our hope, from Isaiah 35, on Tuesday, we will consider Jesus as our joy. And then next week, Matt Newkirk, president and professor of Old Testament at Christ Bible Seminary in Nagoya, Japan, will be preaching from Isaiah 65, Jesus, our future. But today, we look at Isaiah 40, Jesus, our comfort. In chapter 39 of Isaiah, uh, he prophesies that judgment is coming to the people of Judah. Because the people of God had failed in their calling to live for him, to live with him as their king, failing to keep his covenant, they would experience his curse rather than his blessing. They'd be sent into exile in Babylon after King Hezekiah's death. But in chapter 40, we have a shift in the entire book of Isaiah. Here, God begins to speak through the prophet Isaiah about what will happen in as if they have already been in exile. So he's he's spoken to them of what will happen in the first part of the book. Now he's speaking to them as if they are already in exile, preparing them for how they are to respond once they are in Babylon. To God's exile, people despondent and despairing in Babylon. Isaiah speaks God's message of comfort through Jesus. And it's a message of comfort for us amidst the suffering of life as well. Let me pray for us and we'll Dig into this passage. Father, we need you to come by your Spirit. We need you to open up our eyes so that we can see and hear your words of comfort to us in Christ. Lord, I can't speak in such a way that draw people to yourself, but you can use my words as you can use the words of any person to draw us you. You can change hearts, and we ask that you would do that even now. Show us the light and glory of your Son, Christ. We might see, that we might believe, that we might be changed. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, if you go to the Smithsonian, Smithsonian's National Museum of American Art, In Washington, D.C., just inside one of the doors in Alcove, there is an arrangement called The Throne of the Third Heaven of the Nation's Millennium General Assembly. There are 180 pieces in this arrangement, from tables and chairs to small decorative items. They're all pulled together by a man named James Hampton. He was a quiet and virtually unknown janitor in Washington, D.C. area. He simply wanted to depict God's throne room. The collection has been was found in his garage after he died in 1964. No one knew he had been working on it for some 20 years. All those pieces were made of cast-off items. They, old furniture, gold, aluminum, foil, bottles, cigarette boxes, wine bottles, rolls of kitchen foil, light bulbs and cardboard. Construction construction paper and sheets of transparent plastic all glued together, taped together, tacked together, some with pins. There's a bulletin board in his garage where he had copied down the verse Proverbs 29:18, where there is no vision the people perish. His vision of God's glory, the throne room of heaven is now a national treasure. He believed a person needed to have a vision and a picture of God's glory to keep a person going. In Isaiah 40, God gives his people a vision of his glory, in particular a vision of his glory in Christ, that his people might keep going, even amidst the pain and despair of Babylonian exile. I want you to look at verse 27 first this morning. It drives so much of what God is addressing in the whole of the chapter of Isaiah 40. Verse 27, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? The wording here suggests a prevailing mood amongst God's people in exile. My way is hidden from the Lord. That is, my God doesn't see me. My right is disregarded by, by God. That is, God doesn't hear my prayers. Anger and disappointment with God. Have you been there? In moments of despair, have you asked, where has God gone? Where is He now? Why is this happening to me? He asks so much of me, but He doesn't seem to help. My God doesn't love me. We can almost taste their despondency. We can taste it because we know it well. John Knox, Scottish reformer, also known as the father of Presbyterianism, said this as he alluded to our first parents in the Garden of Eden. By what means Satan first drew mankind from the obedience of God? The Scripture doth witness to wit by pouring into their hearts that poison that God did not love them. Mid trying circumstances, we tend to view our experiences merely from our own perspective and fail to recognize the reality of God's. We fail to see God as He is. Many of us are like the Jews to whom Isaiah prophesies. We easily forget that which we already know about God, and we get stuck in disillusionment and despair. God speaks to them in the midst of that despair here in Isaiah, and from it we learn that in order to find comfort and To find the comfort and the strength of the Lord, to live well amidst despair, we must see God's glory in Jesus and view life from God's perspective. Um, Three main points this morning as we consider Isaiah's cry here in chapter 40. First, we must grasp the comfort of God's glorious promise of salvation for all mankind through Jesus. We must grasp the comfort of God's incomparable greatness. And third, we must grasp the comfort of God's renewing strength. First, we must grasp the comfort of God's glorious promise of salvation for all mankind through Jesus. As we saw in Isaiah 53 a couple of weeks ago, we see again here the comfort of sins forgiven. Look at verse 1. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. While they have forsaken him, while they are experiencing God's discipline, God says to them, take comfort. You are still my people, and I am still your your God. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Verse 2, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. God is speaking to them of a time when the exile will end. In other words, their exile is not the end of the story. Again, verse 2, tell my people that her iniquity is pardoned. Their sins will be paid for. So says, she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. We know from Isaiah 53 that they, their sins are paid for by King Jesus as their substitute. The word double in verse 2 is likely like the laying of one half being folded on top of the other. In other words, God's mercy and His grace are more than a match for their sin. They should take comfort. Payment from their, for their sins is coming from the Lord the outset of this chapter, God speaks His comfort. He speaks His mercy. Their sins will not have the last say. They will be forgiven. Secondly, when you see the comfort of the glory of God's presence in, in salvation revealed to all people through Jesus. The Apostle John records for us that when John the baptizer was asked by some priests and Levites who he was, He told them, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. And then he said this, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. John was calling people to repentance as a means of preparing the way for the king to come. It's figurative language here. Make straight the highway. It's not that much like, it's not that different than making highways today. If you're making highways through hills, you cut through them, or you lower the mountain and you raise the valleys. You want to clear the way, make the way as easy as possible. John the Baptist would go on to say, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus would bring salvation to all people. Anyways, verse 5 is the high mark of the section. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Take take comfort. God will come to you. God will reveal His glory and His salvation and it shall be for all flesh, for all people, for all nations, not just you, which means it's for us too. We get to experience the comfort of the fulfillment of this verse in Christ. Even though the restoration he brings is not completed until his second coming on this side of Jesus' birth, we have the privilege of knowing the glory of Christ, the glory of God in human flesh. 2 Corinthians 4.6 says this, For God who said, Let let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Take comfort of sins forgiven. Take comfort and the glory of God's presence revealed to us in Christ. Take comfort that God's word lasts forever. Verse 5 ends with, For the mouth of the Lord has spoken, and verses 6-8 through tell us that unlike the words and the deeds of mankind, God's word abides forever. All people are like grass. Their beauty doesn't last. We humans are fragile and we are fickle. Our words cannot be counted on. But these words of comfort are not derived from humanity. They are derived from God. The Jews may be tempted to think that the plot of the Babylonians taking them into exile will stand forever. But God says it will end and they are to take comfort in His words for His words last forever. A German soldier in Stalingrad, wrote to his precious Greta these words in January 1943. We are entirely alone, without help from outside. Hitler has left us in a lurch. If the airfield is still in our possession, this letter may still get out. So this is what the end looks like. Hannes and I will not surrender. Yesterday, after our infantry had retaken a position, I saw four men who had been taken prisoner by the Russians. No, we shall not go into captivity. When Stalingrad has fallen, you'll hear and read it. And then you'll know that I shall not come back. The Fuhrer made a firm promise to bail us out of here. They read it to us, and we believed in it firmly. Even now, I still believe it because I have to believe in something. If it is not true, what else could I believe in? I would no longer need spring, summer, or anything that gives me pleasure. So leave me my faith, dear Greta. All my life, at least eight years of it, I believed in the Fuhrer and in his word. It is terrible how they doubt here. And shameful to listen to what they say without being able to reply, because they have the facts on their side. The Russians themselves had a sign at their main camp that read this, with an iron fist, we will lead humanity to happiness. Ray Ortland Jr. in his commentary on Isaiah and on this passage, who by the way I'm borrowing from liberally this morning, tells of how on the night of the Allied victory in Europe in May 1945, his parents took to the streets of Washington, D.C., along with everyone else in the city, to celebrate. But he said when his mother got home, all she wanted to do was take a bath. She had experienced such vulgarities in the celebration of the triumph of democracy. When we are disillusioned by the words of mere flesh, when we look at all of life and its disappointments in the face, disappointed with our ideals, disappointed with our romance, disappointed with our career, disappointed with people that we have trusted, disappointment disappointed with ourselves comfort and hope can look really stupid but we will believe in something or someone will we look to the human realm or we look to god and take comfort and hope in the one whose promises always come true. Will we take comfort in the promise of his salvation, or will we look for salvation somewhere else? Isaiah prophesied as God commanded him that in the midst of Babylonian exile, God's people should take comfort that their relationship with God will be restored through the forgiveness of sins comfort that God would surely come and visit His people in Jesus and the comfort that His Word always comes true. And fourth, the comfort of Jesus coming as a warrior shepherd. Look at verse 9. The messenger is told to boldly pronounce tidings of good news. This is where we get the phrase tidings of comfort and joy. Behold, your God comes. Which we now know is Jesus, we are to take comfort because He comes as our conquering hero and our compassionate shepherd. Look at verse 10. We see that He comes with might, bearing the spoils of victory for His people. Setting free from the enemy of sin and Satan, Jesus comes with might as our conquering hero. But He also comes as our compassionate shepherd Verse 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. That is, he exercises care to provide for the flock as a whole. He will gather the lambs in his arms. That is, take comfort. On this side of Jesus' coming, he cares for us personally. Gathering you close to him. He will carry them in his bosom. That is, he will hold you close to his heart. His care will be an intimate, loving care. And gently lead those that are with young, he cares for the concerns and the weak within the flock. That which the flock cares for, Jesus cares for. He is both strong and gentle. He is our warrior shepherd. He has strong arms that are mighty to save and a compassionate heart to pull us close. These are the words that Isaiah was to comfort his people with. The people of God who are being punished at that time for their sin. People in. Grave despair. To them, the message is that God is coming with passion. He's coming with power, and His glory is like no other. In the midst of despair, even when we don't act like God's people, God still identifies with us. We are His people. Are you far in exile? Are you deep in despair? Do you think God is against you? Do you think God doesn't see you? The promise here is that Jesus sees you. He came for you and He will come for you again. We can brood over the bitterness of life. We can think God is is against us. We can be bewildered by the desert. But He calls. He calls to you and he comes to you. In the middle of your exile, in the middle of your suffering, he comes. Our despair is not the end of the story. He's come and he will come again. Will we permit ourselves to stop resenting him? Will we take delight in the comfort of his promise to us? Christianity is not fundamentally a challenge. Christianity is Fundamentally, an assurance. All people are like grass, but it is the word of God—the word of God that stands forever. Jesus, our comfort, our mighty warrior, and our shepherd, and He is the only one worthy of our full trust. Second thing we see this morning from this passage is the comfort of God's incomparable greatness, which tells us that He can keep these promises. Looking back at verse 27, we see Judah in exile complaining that God doesn't see them or care for them. And we see his response in verse 28, which is a summary in many ways of all what you would see in verses 12 through 26 if we were to read them. Let's look at the considerable and the incomparable greatness of God. Verse 28, Have you not known? Have you not heard? Have you forgotten Since they are God's people they have known and they have heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. In their bewilderment, Isaiah reminds them of four of God's attributes in verse 28. One, God is everlasting. He knows the beginning and the ending. I told you earlier that Ray Ortland's commentary owned me this week. He says this about the everlasting nature of God. God is eternal, everlasting. You and I are locked inside a narrow little slot called right now. The The present moment is all we experience. And the urgency of this moment can squeeze us with its pressure so that we make costly mistakes out of our exaggerated sense of emergency. We always sin too soon. But God is not confined to time. In his sweeping eternality, God is equally present to all points of time at once. He is always out ahead of us. So we should never panic if things aren't falling together according to our deadlines. God is working out his purpose in his own way, at his own pace, without our hurried, nervous desperation. I love that line. We always sin too soon. Take comfort, God is always... On time. God is everlasting. Secondly, take comfort. God is the creator of everything, even of the ends of the earth. No matter where you are, wherever your feet are, God created that space. Be it in the land of exile, be it in Timbuktu, be it at the North Carolina Capitol, God created the space you're in. The implication being He is all-powerful. There is nothing He can't do He created space and time for you and me. This is the point he makes in verse 12. If you want to look there now, consider this. Showing that he's able to keep the promise of comfort through Jesus the tender warrior, he says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. If you skip down to verse 26, this, that section ends this way. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. Pointing to the stars. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Here's an application. tonight or some night soon, go outside and look up at the stars and ask yourself this question, did they get there by chance? Are they a product of a big bang without the direction of anyone all-powerful guiding them? Am I the product of random chance? The claim here in Isaiah 40 is that God made those stars. He knows their exact number. And though we don't know all their names, He has named them all. And by the greatness of His might, He holds them all in place. If God did this, and He's saying He did, think what power He has. Think of His greatness. There is none like Him. And then ask yourself this question. Could God... Who never loses one of his stars, lose track of you. Could your way possibly be hidden from him? God is incomparably great. He is eternal, he's creator of all, and God never tires. Verse twenty eight says, He does not faint or grow weary. We take comfort, as one commentator put it, because God never has to abandon his purposes as unrealizable or postpone them while he takes a break. Verse 30 tells us, even youth grow tired and grow weary. Or as my high school basketball coach used to tell us, fatigue makes cowards of us all. But not so with God. He never tires. Which means he never sleeps. And he never stops working on behalf of his people. His eyes are always on us. He's incomparably great. He's eternal. He's creator of all. He never tires. And his wisdom is beyond our comprehension. Look at verse 28. His understanding is unsearchable. We can't understand all his wisdom because it is way beyond us. In Babylonian mythology, the story that they would have heard when they were in exile, the story of the culture, the story of Babylonian mythology is that the creator god, Marduk, could not proceed with creation without consulting E, another god who was all wise. With that as backdrop, listen to the words from the prophet Isaiah beginning in verse 13. Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows Him His counsel? Whom did He consult? And who made Him understand? Who taught Him the path of justice and taught Him knowledge and showed Him the way of understanding? Rhetorical questions pointing out the fact that this Creator God is also the all-wise, the all-knowing God. We can't know and understand all the ways of God. In the confusion of life, in the pain and suffering of the world, when we are so despairing and so despondent that we can't see straight, God sees straight and clear. He's always ahead of us. Life may be baffling to us, but life is not baffling to God. He can have reasons for allowing things that we could never understand from our own vantage point. We are not going to figure God out. Nor are we going to figure out our lives or this world. In the Christian life, we don't live by explanations. Rather, we live by faith in God who sent Jesus, our word shepherd, to save us. We don't have to know everything to live well in this world. We just need to know the incomparable God who knows and loves us through Jesus. God here shows the irrationality of the doubts of the Jew. The rationality of their belief that he doesn't see or regard their plight by revealing, yet again, just who he is. The everlasting, never-tiring Creator God whose wisdom is beyond their comprehension. There is a kind of doubt that is open to answers. And there is a kind of doubt that no matter the answers that you give it, won't convince for whom no reason will change the mind. So for some of us this morning, the question is, will we trust our doubts? Or will we trust a God who kept these promises in Jesus and promises to complete them when he returns? First, this passage teaches us to grasp the comfort of God's glorious promise of salvation for all mankind through Jesus, the warrior shepherd based on the incomparable greatness of God to keep His promises. And third, this passage this morning teaches us that we need to see, whoo, there goes my Bible. Wake up. The comfort of God's renewing strength. Two things here, briefly. One, God God can renew the strength of the weary. And secondly, God gives strength to those who wait for the Lord. We noted four of God's attributes revealed in verse 28, but verse 29 gives us a fifth attribute. God is able to share his strength with his people who have no strength without compromising his own strength. Verse 29, he gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Those of us who falter, those of us who fail under life's pressures, God is able to renew our strength. He's able to lift us out and help us to walk in His ways even amidst bewildering despair. Like the Jews in exile, we may be overcome by our circumstances, but God can give us the strength we need to live for Him. God can give us the strength that He alone possesses to help us to do that which is otherwise impossible. Look at the metaphor He uses in verse 31 beginning in verse 30 for context. Even use shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. People don't mount up on wings like eagles. We don't soar on our own. But God can give strength to His people to follow Him amid despair that would otherwise be impossible. But how does that happen? It doesn't happen for everyone. The text says it happens for those who wait for the Lord. You can translate it, or those who wait upon the Lord. So what does that mean? Wait here means something like resting trustfully in the Lord. It is not passive. It is an active, restful trust, leaning upon the Lord, even when promises are not yet fulfilled. Even when tempted to great despair by life's circumstances. Waiting with confident expectation because of who God is. Living in the eager expectation that in your lifetime, in our lifetime, or sometime later, Jesus will return and all the sad things will become untrue. One commentator says it this way, that waiting is what faith does before God's answer shows up. Waiting upon the Lord means straining forward as Jesus expands God's kingdom in and through us by the power of the Holy Spirit, even when it looks like nothing is happening. You may not understand why you're to keep going. You may not understand how God is going to use your faithfulness in this world, but you can trust that he will. You wait upon him and your strength is renewed. We can all look to the wrong places for comfort. We can look to the confines of this world. Often we do this for a quick fix, to relieve pain or to scratch an itch. But if this is all true, we were not made to be comforted by the stuff of this world. But we were made to be comforted by the God who made it and made us to live by faith in Him in it. We were meant to be comforted by Jesus, our tender warrior, who holds us close to His heart. So we should not settle for the mere comfort of this world. His strength is for those who wait upon Him. It is not for those who want His strength to fund their own dreams of glory. God won't give His supernatural strength to endure so that you can spend His strength on your worldliness. From the time I started, first started pursuing ministry, as a college student visiting teenagers in a juvenile detention center, to my ministry now, I have heard people say, God is not satisfying to me. He is not enough. I tried. I prayed. just didn't happen. I found that many of those people needed to wait longer. They sinned too soon. But I think some of them are like those that make prayer requests, or the prayer requests that James speaks about in James chapter 4, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. In such a case, of course God is not doing it for us, because we're not actually waiting on him. We are seeking to use God to get what we want to spend on ourselves, to have our foot in this world and a foot in his kingdom. But renewed strength is for those who wait upon him. Those who eagerly entrust their lives to him so they know his comforting presence. Who taste something of his glory even now and have their strength renewed. The Jews in exiles, and for many of us here, we may be off track. This text invites us back to him to rest, to trust, to wait upon our faithful shepherd and gaze upon his glory. On this side of Jesus' incarnation, we see God's glory in Christ. We have greater reason for hope. We have greater reason for comfort by His Spirit. Jesus is our down deposit of a glorious future. We are part of a greater story of what God is doing in this world, so we wait on the Lord, finding our comfort in Him. And may we who found it share it with others, that they might know His comforting strength as well. We are all weak. The good news here is that we don't have to be superheroes. We just need to look to God's glory revealed in Christ as our warrior shepherd and rest in him and trust in him and wait upon him, and we will find his comfort and his strength, enabling us to live for him even in impossible situations. As many of you know, I've taken a new position at a church in Aiken, South Carolina, and will be moving with our family in January. I've asked myself many times in the last few weeks, why are we doing this? Why are we moving? I can't think of a more comfortable situation. Our schools are comfortable. Our church is comfortable. Our neighborhood is comfortable. Our dog is uncomfortable, but we're not leaving her behind. I have a good job. I have a church that... Not only loves and cares for me, but loves and cares for my wife and for my children. My wife Rachel loves her job. We love our staff team. There are good reasons to move. But if our only source of comfort were grounded in this world, it would be silly for us to move. But our hope is in the Lord. He will be our comfort in difficulty. He will be our strength in weakness. He will be our warrior shepherd. He will work in and through us. He will hold us close to his heart. He wants people to know his goodness, his love and care, his mercy, his glory in Jesus far more than I do. I recognize the generosity that we have experienced here at Redeemers because we have a generous God. He is our comfort. For all of us in moments of despair, when it feels like God has no regard for us, when it seems like our way is hidden from the Lord, we can come back to this text. We can come back and look at Isaiah 40, among many others, and focus on the character of God. It is a cosmic impossibility that he doesn't see us. He is too great not to see us. Amidst despair, we must look beyond ourselves to Jesus, our comfort, because he keeps his promises. He will not let go of us. It just must be that we need to wait on Him. For Jesus can take quitters and weaklings like ourselves and make us run and not grow weary. In some sense of the word, He can make us heroes for the sake of His glory, even amidst despair. Let us wait upon the Lord always, for He indeed is our comfort amid the despair of life. Let's pray. Father, You are good beyond words, and we see Your goodness most clearly. In the gift of your Son, Christ. He is strong and mighty and able to save. He speaks your forgiveness, your reconciliation in spite of our sins. He is our shepherd who leads and guides, protects, and holds us. He knows our cares. He has come for us. May we find all our hope and all our comfort in him this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.